Welcome to Conversations for Life, a marriage and family podcast from Cross Life with hosts Jonathan and Kathleen. Each episode, we sit down and talk about things that matter most to those that matter most to you. We're so glad you're with us today. Please pull up a chair and join us in the conversation. Hey everyone, we are back. We took some time off to get our ducks in order as Cross Life heads into 2020 with a big lineup of awesome work ahead, Lord willing. But now it's time to get back to sitting down and having some wonderful conversations that we hope will inspire you to have meaningful conversations with your loved ones when you're not plugged in. A quick word, uh, though, about a slight change for the foreseeable future. I am super busy, as I mentioned in our recent newsletter, fundraising for our personal income uh, for Cross Life and also for our big evangelism training and mobilization project called To Live. And to help simplify things a little, Kathleen will not be able to be on all of the episodes as before. Sometimes you'll just have to suffer through me conversing with you via the digital airwaves. Other times it'll be me with a guest or two. And on occasion, Kathleen will be able to join us. You can pray as we work hard to keep Cross Life moving forward. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to work it out so that Kathleen can come on a number of episodes coming up. But a lot depends on how our fundraising goes. And if you would like to support us, you can do so by going to www.crosslife.org forward slash give for more information and uh, to make a pledge. What really helps us out is recurring gifts that come on a monthly or quarterly basis, and any amount helps. We have about 3000 to go before we've reached the first minimal tier that we need to reach. Um, and I'm also, on top of that, I'm happy to travel anywhere in the continental U.S. to share about Cross Life and lead a workshop on any of the topics that you've heard us talk about on here. So that's also a great way that you can help us extend Cross Life's ministry and impact. Now, on to today's conversation. Have you ever had this feeling that there's something missing from the way that we as evangelicals tend to talk about growing as a Christian? You know, depending on your tradition, you might use different language. Maybe you, you think of it in terms of discipleship, or maybe you want to get fancy and think of it in terms of thing uh, sanctification, big fancy word. But whatever you call it, have you ever felt that there's something missing from the way that we as evangelicals tend to characterize Christian growth? Now, here's what I mean by that. In my circles earlier in my Christian life, discipleship or Christian growth or however you want to call it typically meant doing and learning spiritual things. Chief among them was having a daily quiet time. It was grilled into my head as a young Christian that the way to grow is to have daily time with God where I read my Bible I journal and I pray. On top of this, I should go to church pretty much every week if I can, be involved in a small group Bible study, and do occasional service projects or mission trips. This was the picture I was given of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus and to grow my faith. Now, here's what was missing in that picture. My emotional maturity. As I was learning what it meant to be a Christian, and as I was reading the Bible and going to church and being involved in small groups, very little attention was ever paid to how my emotional maturity was coming along. The light bulb came on for me when I hit upon a book in seminary called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Now, in my opinion, regardless of one's personal faith tradition, uh, I myself am a Reformed Presbyterian, 
I believe that if you are a believer in Christ, you should read this book and think about its message, especially, even more, if you are in ministry. One of the gravest challenges that any minister faces is his own emotional immaturity getting in the way of being a faithful servant. And that gets compounded with the emotional immaturity of the people he's called to serve. Not integrating emotional maturity into a vision of discipleship ministry in, in my own life or in the life of your church um, that, you're, that you're serving as a pastor, I would argue, um, leads to serious problems. Now, Kathleen and I actually read some quotes from this book in an earlier podcast conversation. I, I can't recall which one. But, um, but Peter Scazzaro, who's the author, he exhorts Christians to analyze their own faith and ask if we uh, possess an emotionally unhealthy spirituality. That's how he starts the book off. He gives a, a list of indicators of how we can assess, okay, well, where am I at? Am I an emotionally healthy spiritual person or am I an emo- emotionally unhealthy spiritual person? And he walks through 10 indicators of what to look for Um, in emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And so for today's episode, we're going to go through five of those indicators because I think they're really, really good. And then uh, the next time that I I get on and talk, um, we'll we'll look at the next five indicators. And as you're tracking along, I would encourage you to to purchase this book, read it on your own. But um, I think it's just a fantastic um, self-awareness tool to kind of go through these indicators and go okay wow and even if we might say well you know I think I'm a pretty emotionally healthy person all of us are still going to wrestle with these things because all of us are wrestling with sin are wrestling with brokenness or wrestling with areas in our life that are immature none of us are you know remotely as mature as we could be or should be and so all of us could do with a regular you know thinking through how are we how are we doing in our emotionally uh, in our emotional health So uh, one of the first things that he says, uh, the first indicator he gives about emotionally unhealthy spirituality is that, and this is, I love this, he says, uh, people who use God to run from God. And what he means by by that is that we use God to run from God whenever uh, we're using Christian activities or disciplines to avoid the truly difficult areas in our life that God actually wants to change. Now, there are hundreds of ways that this can show up, but I'm just going to give one example. So I'm a 42-year-old, or this is not me, but let's just say I'm a 42-year-old husband and father and a manager who's gone almost 60 hours a week on a normal week uh, when I factor, I'm gone that much time working about 60 hours a week when I factor in work plus commute time and so on. So in the evenings, I get home late and I'll either just flip on the TV or I'll watch a ball game or maybe I'll just finish up some work, make a quick email. You know, my marriage isn't bad in the sense that my wife has kind of accepted this lifestyle, but it's certainly not what I know it should be. And my kids barely know me. Um, now, I go to church almost every week of the year. I'm involved in a midweek men's group. I read lots of Christian materials online and also books in my own time. Um, I attend the annual men's retreat. My family and I, we volunteer whenever there's a church-wide service project. You know, lots of men could go on like this for years or even decades. But any emotionally healthy man would find it intolerable, intolerable to have almost no relationship with his kids or his wife and would do anything he could within his power, including prayer, 
to either change jobs or find a way to be home more, um, even with the current job that he has. So this is an example where you have a man who's doing all these activities with his family. He's going to church. He's involved in midweek Bible study. He goes on the occasional service project or mission trip. He's super involved. But what does God want to change in his life? Well, he wants him to actually be married and to be the husband that he's called to be as, as, as an image bearer of God and as a, in serving and, and, and honoring Christ. Um, he wants him to be a father. He wants him to be dutifully carrying out faithfully his calling as a husband and father. And so God absolutely wants to change that dynamic in his life. But because he's doing all these God activities, he tells himself, look, I'm great. I, I'm, I'm a good Christian. I'm checking these things off. And, and most people might even look at that and go, yeah, you're, you're great. You're a really mature Christian. But in reality, a man who doesn't spend any time with his kids and who, who doesn't engage with his wife, uh, he's using God to run from God. And that's just one example. It, it can show up in all kinds of ways where we're using Christian religion, Christian activities to actually run from God and to run from the hard areas of life that God wants to change. You know, um, to say it another way is, is if you're a Christian and you have a continual problem in your life of broken relationships, conflicts, uh, wounded wounds, and, and, and maybe you, you feel like it's everyone else's fault. Everyone else is, is you know, hurting you or wronging you. Um, but the truth is, if you look at your life and there is a continual pattern of broken relationships and, and hurts and conflicts, but yet you say, oh, it's okay, though I'm, I'm a great Christian. I go to all these Bible studies in church and I read all these theology books and so on and so forth. Well, there's something deeply, profoundly wrong with you um, in your emotional health. And you're, you're using God, in essence, to run from God because God wants to change you. He wants to make you more like Christ. And all those activities are great if they're part of that process of you growing in your faith and being becoming more like Christ. But if they're actually being used uh, as a way for you to run from changing, to run from God, to run from those hard areas that God, that you know God wants to change in you, then that's that's where you're in, in investing in an emotionally unhealthy spirituality. So there's tons of more illustrations, but I hope that's a, a good indicator for you to think about in your own life. Uh, the second one that he talks about is is um, ignoring sadness, anger, and fear. Uh, Schizero, he points out, um, and I think he's right, because I've had many conversations, by the way, where this is, at, at the underlying sentiment is actually this, this very thing he's talking about, that many Christians think it's unchristian, unchristian to be genuinely sad or angry or fearful. And so they just deflect those emotions by trying to spiritualize them away or, or stuffing them down or something else. Um, here's what he says in the book. He says, to feel is to be human. To minimize or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of God. To the degree that we are unable to express our emotions, we remain impaired in our ability to love God, others, and ourselves well. Why? Because our feelings are a component of what it means to be made in the image of God. So to cut them out of our spirituality is to slice off an essential part of our humanity. So that's what he says, and it's a great quote, and it's so brilliant. 
because I've, like I said, I've talked to many people, and even my, I myself when I was a younger Christian, who didn't know what do you do with these negative emotions. They're unspiritual, aren't they? Aren't they unchristian, these negative emotions? And so we, we try to spiritualize it away or stuff them down or laugh them off. But the truth is, those are part of what it means to be an image bearer of God, especially living in a fallen world. And so we, we need to recognize that, that we need to bring those emotions also into our relationship with God. Now, everyone has a different temperament. And what he isn't saying here is that a sign of emotionally healthy spirituality is that you're always crying at the drop of a hat. You know, he's not saying that we, you, you watch a, a commercial and you just break out in tears and that's what it means to be emotionally healthy. Of course, that, that, that's a straw man. What he's saying is that we are human beings and human beings have emotions. And if we think that our emotions are inherently wrong or unspiritual, then as we try to stuff them down or deflect them or ignore them or whatever we do, um, the truth is those feelings are not going to go away. They're a central aspect of our humanity. You know, Jesus himself wept at Lazarus's death. He poured out prayer to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was afraid of what was about to happen. He was angry when he turned over the tables of the money changers at the temple. These are just a few examples of Jesus' own emotions. Christianity, hear me, Christianity is not stoicism. It's not a religion that says, Life is hard, grim, and bear it. Far from it, Christianity demands that we open up our hearts to the pain and the suffering in the world and in our own lives because to not do so is to deny the goodness of God's original creation and the evil that's corrupted it and is to deny what's going on in our own lives. So we need to bring those things into our faith, into our relationship with God if we're going to grow in emotionally healthy spirituality. So uh, hang with me. There's still three more to go. I know these are, these are really great uh, topics and indicators uh, to think about in terms of our own emotional health. The third one that he talks about um, in terms of being what, what, an indicator that you're an emotionally unhealthy person is dying to the wrong things. Dying to the wrong things. Scazzaro says that, yes, we are called to pick up our cross and follow after Jesus. But this is not a call to die to everything that is good in the world or that we enjoy. We're not called, like I said, to become Stoics or uh, Nihilists. It's rather a call to die to all that is evil in us and in the world. It is not Christian to hate the good things God has given us to enjoy. Friendships, art, this is the list he gives, friendships, art, Music, beauty, recreation, laughter, and nature are just some of the examples. And, and of course, I or you could add a lot more to that. The purpose of Christian discipleship is not to lose ourselves and become spiritual non-persons. You know, that's, that's Buddhism. Buddhism teaches that the goal of human life is to reach the state of nirvana where you essentially are absorbed into the great force and lose all self-awareness, all self-consciousness. That is not what Christianity says. Christianity teaches that God is three persons in one being. He is knowable, real, personable, relatable. And he made us in his image that we might be able to relate to him. Discipleship is not about losing yourself. It's about becoming the true person God designed 
and redeemed you to be that is in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's about becoming more you, not less. And so the things that you enjoy, enjoy them to the glory of God. And, and, and as you do so, that's how you're going to be able to cultivate an emotionally healthy spirituality. But if you think enjoying the things God gives us in the world around us are bad or wrong or not spiritual, then you're going to develop a very distorted view of, of your emotional health as it relates to God. Now, the fourth indicator uh, and uh, so, yeah, I know these are these are really great. So the fourth indicator, um, and and by the way, this one I think is a huge one. In my experience, uh, this one is is probably, I mean, man, you could just spend just weeks thinking about this. And here's what he says: uh, the, the the fourth indicator is denying the impact of the past on the present, denying the impact of the past on the present. Like I said, this one is huge. Christians can very easily mistake being a new creation in Christ to mean that all that stuff that happened to me in the past no longer matters. All that stuff that I did and the consequences no longer affect me. All the trauma or the pain that I might have endured, all that's just gone. Now this is total hogwash. Yet I, for one, see it all the time, and I, for one, have been there as a, as a new believer. And, you know, I think we're just, we're, 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 we're so excited about our new faith, and we've been so deeply wounded in our life that the natural instinct is just to cut it all off and just forget about it. But it doesn't go away. And at some point in our spiritual growth, we're going to have to bring that stuff back out if we want to grow in emotional health. Um, I've talked to many Christians struggling in their walk and faith, and one of the first things that I ask is to hear their life story. In almost all cases, the person has never attempted to integrate their history and their past with who they are now. Now, here's what Scazzaro says. He says, the work of growing in Christ, which is what theologians call sanctification, does not mean we don't go back to the past as we press ahead to what God has for us. It actually demands that we go back in order to break free from unhealthy and destructive patterns that prevent us from loving ourselves and others as God designed. End quote. Look, no matter who we are or how traumatic we think our lives have been, maybe not a lot, maybe a whole, you know, maybe you experienced an enormous trauma, it doesn't matter. We've all grown up in families, and the truth is no family is perfect. Every family involves systems that are, to some degree or another, unhealthy and dysfunctional because, you know, they're made of simple human beings. Uh, the way communication happens or, or doesn't happen, the way conflict is handled, the way emotions are allowed or not allowed to be expressed, the way the family deals with hardship or disappointments, all of these things and more deeply affect us and shape us. And as we grow in our faith, it is essential to connect the past to the present in order to let the light of God's Word shine itself on all the areas of our hearts, our minds, our assumptions, our habits, our behaviors, and all those things that we aren't even aware of. I want to give you a quick example. So I've been a Christian for about 20 years now, a little over 20 years. More of my life has, has, has been as a Christian than not at this point. However, I still struggle not to respond to conflict the way that I learned growing up. 
my dad was verbally and emotionally abusive. So I responded by running and hiding. Just go to my room and get out of the way. So even today, I still have an immense problem having the courage to face a potential conflict with someone because my pattern my entire childhood was running and hiding. Every person who might be angry with me is my dad. And that trigger sets in, run, hide, uh, protect yourself. Now, this is a terrible way to resolve conflict. And, and I'm talking about even minor conflicts, things that aren't a big deal, but in my, because of my past, they can be these huge deals in my own mind. So knowing that about myself, it doesn't automatically change. So now, so, you know, just in terms of what, what Skazera talks about, and as I've, you know, processed my, my childhood and my past and, and tried to integrate that more and more into who I am as an adult and as a Christian, it, it doesn't automatically change my behavior, but it allows me to see it and to name it. And in being able to do so, I can now decide what I'm going to do about it. This is way different than not being able to see it at all or name it. And then I'm just a slave to it. You know, like if, if I don't, if I've never done that, if I've never done the hard work of going back and looking into my past and, and, and seeing how that connects with my present, then I will be at doing all these behaviors in my life. In, in this case, you know, running away from conflict, even minor conflict, um, and not even being aware of what I'm doing or why I'm doing it. So, so opening up the past, connecting to who you are now is a huge, um, it just turns on so many lights in our own lives and helps us see what's there and to name it. And then we can begin to do something about it. Um, and so, you know, in my case, there's no way I could be a good husband or a good father or a leader or a minister or anything else or just a good human being if I continued in that pattern slavishly. Now, thank the Lord, I, I know that's going on. And so I try to have that corrective behavior and I know, OK, well, he, you know, this isn't my dad or so on and so forth. Um, and so I try to be very intentional about making sure I, I speak directly to people if there's a conflict. So this is one small example. All of us have many ways in our lives where um, it's very easy for us to think that who we are now has nothing to do with our past. And I think that is a tragedy because what it means is all that stuff is still there. It's not going anywhere just because we deny it's not there or just because we, we do, just because we deny it's there. It's still there. And so the reality is we become slaves to all kinds of things that we don't even know about. Okay. Last on the list for today, number five, is also another huge one. You ready? Number five, indicator of an emotionally unhealthy spirituality is dividing life into secular and sacred. Boom. This one is so ubiquitous in evangelicalism that is virtually the water that we evangelicals swim in. You know, there's a joke about an old fish who's passing by a younger fish. And as he does so, the old one says to the younger one, enjoy the water. And the young fish says, the what? The compartmentalization of life into secular and sacred is so common in the circles that I've been in that people don't even know we're doing it. You know, uh, one example is a man named Ken, who, uh, this is just an illustration. One example is a man named Ken who has, dis who has, disciplined, uh, who has disciplined time with God every morning. But then he goes throughout his day at work and doing everything else and doesn't pray, doesn't really think about God's presence being with him. And then he goes home to his family at night. Another example is a family um, who dutifully goes to church once or twice a month to hear about God. And then the rest of their time is just spent on 
secular things, right? Work or children's activities and social gatherings. Church is their quote-unquote God time, and their entire Christian faith is compartmentalized to that time. It's lived out, you know, during about four to six hours a month, um, and and it's just compartmentalized and has nothing to do with everything else in their life. Another example I could give is the person who's super involved in Christian activities during a certain set time of the week, but the rest of the time is pretty much just do whatever they want. Um, and, and so, look, this is so common in evangelical circles. And I hate to say it, but almost, you know, uh, w- one example where I see this a lot is, is in so much of the Christian music that's out there that's marketed to us. It's built on a paradigm of a division between the secular you know, this world and faith is sacred. And so you get all this kind of hyper spirituality and mysticism and this uber kind of almost hyper emotionalism. But all of it is so focused on this very um, reduced down vision of faith and, and, compartmental, and compartmentalizing that apart from other things in life. Um, the kind of person who can see um, these deep emotionally charged songs about God all week Sorry, the kind of person who can sing these deep, emotionally charged songs about God all week, but then go out and live life with almost no difference from a non-Christian is someone who is totally enmeshed in a sacred, secular split. And such a person is not going to grow an emotionally healthy spirituality. And that's because I would argue the way we grow as Christians is in tandem between the spiritual disciplines like reading the Bible and praying and fellowshipping and then that meshing with the very tangible reality of life and work and people and events that are going on all, all, all the time, day by day. It's as, those, it's as our spiritual um, disciplines intersect with and, and interact with our day-to-day lives that we grow as believers. So case in point, I can pray endlessly, God, make me a more loving person, make me a more loving person. You know, I can read 500 books on on God's love and 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 pray, God, make me a more loving person. But you know what? If I'm not actually trying to have real relationships with real people in in, in and around me, um, and and seek to love them, uh, you know, through and through, good times, bad times, hard times, easy times, convenient times, inconvenient times, then I'm never going to truly know what it means to love another person. It's as we is as we study and see God's love and see how he encourages us to love others, and then we actually take that with us into every area of our lives and actually love the people that God has put around us, our grumpy boss, our difficult neighbor, our frustrating family members. That's when we're doing the work of spiritual growth. All right, so that's the first five. So um, using God to run from God, um, denying the connection between our present and our past. Uh, this one I just mentioned where we are, uh, you know, secular, sacred split, dying to the wrong things. I have to look at my notes here. Dying to the wrong things. And then also um, not wanting to bring our negative emotions to God. So these are indicators of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Now, let me encourage you, grab this book on your own. This book I was telling my wife the other day, I really, as I look back on this book and think about it, it has probably been, has some of the the biggest impact on me in the way that I approach uh, theology, the way that I approach ministry, the way that I approach um, Christian growth, because I just think I I see such a deficit of um, this approach to discipleship. 
I see so much of that split, of that divide, the sacred, the sacred secular, and, and yet I think God calls us. We are integrated people. All of us is to live, to, um, to reflect all of God, and to enjoy all of God in every part of our lives. And I think that split, that compartmentalization is devastating. And it's so, and we can't see it unless someone shows it to us um, because it's so ubiquitous in Christian evangelical culture. So next time we get together, we're going to look at the next five indicators that he offers. And then um, throughout this year, uh, as I have time, I'm going to be returning this book and kind of picking up some of the themes. It's a great one. I would encourage you, um, if you have a small group and you're looking for any kind of book to read and you haven't done this one before, it's fantastic. If you're a church minister, I know they have a whole church curriculum. I haven't done that, um, but you can look into that if that's something you're interested in. So... Listen, y'all, I, th- I thank you so much for listening today to Conversations for Life. We have a lot of great conversations coming up with uh, guests, and I'm so excited about those topics we're going to be covering. All fantastic. So y'all take care, have a great day, God bless, and bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel using your preferred podcast app and to join us again next week. Conversations for Life is a listener-supported ministry of Cross Life. Cross Life exists to equip and empower married couples and parents to cultivate life in the home. For more information and additional resources mentioned in today's episode, please visit our website, crosslifetoday.org. You can also find us on Facebook at Cross Life Resources, Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, take care and God bless.